What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real because just business is better business. Visit justcapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count. Well, good morning. Welcome. Thanks for joining us on this early Sunday morning as we continue to talk about healing conversations, doing a little reprise of the uh, elements of healing conversations and uh, looking forward to uh, hearing from you. You can email us at healingconversationskabc at gmail.com and uh, we'll try to jump on some of your questions and comments and uh, appreciate that. But we're uh, thinking about and doing a reprise of Healing Conversations because it feels like uh, during this time, post-pandemic, I don't know if we can say that yet, as we've been through these months of pandemic and we've had all of the divisiveness and uh, all of the conflict over vaccines and and politics and been through a couple of election cycles now. And uh, so uh, it really is a time to stop and to think about how we're talking and what's happening to our conversations. Uh, I have this deep belief that we want to love and be loved, that we want to know others and be known by others. And that's increasingly dangerous, that it's a very, very risky proposition to think about disclosing who you are and what you think and what your opinion might be. And so I've said this uh, before, and I say it uh, frequently in the book, the elements don't necessarily follow one another. They don't need to be one after the other in any particular order. But there is some logic to the idea that before we can begin a healing conversation, we need trust and we need to build trust and we need to be able to calibrate what kind of conversation we might have with others. Uh, obviously, we have some friends that might be moat friends or the curtain wall kind of friend uh, and uh, we can't have the same kind of healing conversations with them as we might have with someone who's actually in our castle. Uh, if you're listening for the first time, you, you can go back a couple weeks and listen to the conversation about trust. Or you can just buy the book and read it. Another possibility. But without trust, it's difficult to know what kind of conversation we're after and what would be appropriate for each relationship. And then humility in which we talked about, I don't know much, but I believe some things. And I think if we don't have these two elements, it's very, very hard to move on to the next element, which is self-disclosure. If I'm going to reveal something about my deeper self, something beyond the facade, something beyond, you know, the socially required sort of behaviors in which I'm being nice and trying not to offend others and trying to be sensitive to what's around me. Beyond that, there is this place in which we desire to be known. And to be known, I have to talk more about what I really think. Now, if I've developed trust, if I'm working on that, and if I have humility, then, then I'm talking to someone that also has humility, then I can risk this thing called self-disclosure. So kind of sit into that with me and just to, to stop for a minute and think about, do you have a friendship, a relationship in which you can be fully known, where you feel like you can absolutely be yourself and just relax? You can say anything. Uh, you're with people who are either like-minded 
or who love you so much that they understand where you're different and that's okay. Do you have very many of those? Because I believe they're very rare and they're becoming increasingly rare in our very divisive culture uh, in which we really adopt a mentality in which it's winner take all. Uh, my side is the right side and I don't understand. In fact, I look down on people who see it in a different way without ever slowing down to think there may be actual reasons or I may be misunderstanding or I may not know what I think I know. I just believe things. I believe this is the right thing, which, by the way, I do deeply believe that, that life is a great laboratory and it's full of experiments and very few of us can look at the current data we have in front of us and determine what is exactly right, what is exactly best for human beings and society and culture and the world. It's a, it's a hard thing. We think we know. We think we know the immediate thing. But sitting in that humble space is important because sitting in humility then gives me the chance to have meaningful conversations with people who are like-minded – and like-minded not because we agree on everything, but like-minded because we both agree we don't know a lot. And we're going to talk. We're going to talk about what we think and what we wonder about. And so settling into that idea, you just kind of think about how Jesus taught us. If you don't get anything else right in your whole life, when he's asked what's the greatest commandment in the law, he just kind of sums it up. If you don't get anything else right, love God and love each other. In fact, love each other like you love yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Talk about, think about, consider people the way you would like for them to talk about, think about, and consider you. And that is so rare in our culture, so rare in our world. And so when we stop and we begin to set this background, then uh, we are opening the door for some self-disclosure. Rene Descartes said, I think... Therefore, I am. I think, therefore, I am. And what he meant was I, I, my actual being has something to do with my thinking. He actually said I can doubt everything except my own thinking. And so, therefore, since I am thinking, I must exist. But when you stop and you consider that distillation of life, then it would mean that our actual existence is rooted in our thoughts. It's rooted in what's going on inside of us. But we are so reluctant to reveal our life, our being. This is true even of spouses. This is true between parents and children. There's always a desire to present ourselves in a more defensive way or a better way. Self-disclosure is dangerous, dangerous business. I remember growing up back in the day, we we had a little pamphlet. And maybe you've seen it. It goes around. It's some religious tract company and they hand it out. And it's a little cartoon book. So as a little kid, I remember, you know, you'd see one of them and they're kind of fun to thumb through because it's a cartoon book. And it was basically, it was called This Is Your Life. And it was about a guy and he's, you know, living his life and he has a heart attack and dies and he goes to heaven and there's a big judgment. And there's a giant screen. And then all of the events of his life play out on the screen. And I remember as a kid, you know, eight or nine or ten years old, seeing that little thing and thinking, oh, my goodness, <laughs> I hope that's not what happens. Now, I don't know what I had to hide at eight or nine or ten. Uh, you know, it would be a much more involved movie now than it would have been then. 
But I remember the discomfort of thinking, I do not want my secrets disclosed. I don't want people to know. And I think there's something inside of us that that really doesn't like the idea that that what is hidden will be revealed. I was invited, in fact, I'm invited pretty frequently to share at AA meetings. Uh, we have a number of folks who have come through and benefited, and sometimes on birthdays and different events, I'm asked to come and present a cake. And, and I'm always amazed. I'm amazed to sit in that space and watch somebody come forward and state their name and talk about the deep secrets of their life. And evidently, it's incredibly therapeutic. It actually allows transformation in lives, this disclosure. In fact, in the world of theology, Reinhold Niebuhr, who was a part of that great prayer, the serenity prayer that was a Reinhold Niebuhr prayer, and at the founding of AA and where it was being, theologians now say one of the unique contributions to the world of theology from the United States is the gift of AA, the gift of people disclosing who they really are and finding acceptance and mutual support to create transformation, change. What an amazing idea. Scary, but I wonder how many of us would think long for moving into a space and saying, hi, my name is Dave and this is who I really am and finding people accepting loving, supporting, cheering, caring, walking the journey with us. When John Wesley founded the midweek service inside of the movement of Methodism, he recognized it not as a time to have a Bible study or a prayer meeting, but the midweek service was designed for people to come together and to talk about their struggles. In fact, the opening part of Wesley's midweek service was a confession of sin. (laughs) Where did you fall short? I'm not sure if we posted that in our uh, weekly schedule and said, come to the midweek service. We're going to give you a chance to confess your sin. I'm not sure how many people would really be all that excited because there's something in us that really wants to hide, that really wants to cover up. Here's the great irony. When we talk about that we don't know much, but we believe some things, there is one topic on which each of us are an expert, and that is ourselves. We are an authority on our journey and our experience, the things that have happened to us, and that somewhere in there that we understand our own inner workings, our emotions, our spirituality, our lack of spirituality, the emotions that we choose to hide and stuff, our thoughts, our fears, our worries, our anxiety, what we carry around. We're an expert. And so... I'm not talking about a kind of conversation that's carefully kept. I'm talking about a healing conversation where we've talked about trust and we've talked about humility because it's hard to be in a conversation of self-disclosure unless those things are intact. But don't you long for someone to appreciate who you really are? Hold that thought and we'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Healing Conversations on KABC 790. I'm Pastor Dave Roberts. We're talking about what it means to engage in a healing conversation that involves self-disclosure. I think we long to be known. And a part of being known is being able to just stand up and say, hi, this is who I am, and find support, being safe enough to have people go, hey, I get it. I get who you are. I appreciate your journey. I respect 
where you've been. Just this last weekend, I uh, did a, a wedding. I do that frequently. And uh, a destination wedding flew out on Saturday morning and uh, up in the Bay Area and, um, you know, met and did the rehearsal and then a dinner. And and then Sunday did the ceremony. And uh, those kids that uh, go through that process with me, uh, they're required to do six weeks of counseling before I perform the ceremony. And we talk in that six weeks about communication and how communication is somewhat tricky. And and one of the things that we get to is we talk about the difference between I language and you language and how important it is that we remember when we want to communicate that we say I, I think, I feel, I want, I need, instead of you always, you never. And so we just talk about how one of those tends to be easier to communicate, easier to hear, creates less conflict, less defensiveness. When we talk about ourselves, there's a tendency in that to draw people in instead of push them away. But we also talk about this reality. When someone says that phrase, I think, it's sacred ground. That someone is on the journey of revealing themselves. They are beginning the steps of self-disclosure. And like any kind of journey that is dangerous, we take very tentative steps at the beginning to see if it's safe. And if the person who is listening doesn't quiet down, lean in, and really listen, then we will stop. We'll reveal something very small. I've used this illustration before. Maybe I might say to someone in a conversation, I like ice cream. And they might say, big deal. Who cares? That is not a big risk. You're not telling me much. You're not revealing much. But if they were to say to me, you know, in response, well, have you always liked ice cream? I'd have to think about that a minute. And I'd think, you know, I think I fell in love with ice cream when I was a little kid. And I fell in love with ice cream because my uncles made homemade ice cream at my grandmother's house anytime there was a special occasion. And if somebody leaned in and said, wow, so was that a big deal for you? I'd say, you know, looking back, it is. In fact, I had a job. I had a job. I sat on the ice cream freezer. There was a towel and I sat on it to keep it from, you know, because when the ice cream started to freeze, it got hard to turn. And that environment Everybody was on the front porch. Everybody was on the front porch, cranking away at the ice cream. All my cousins, my aunts, my uncles, my family. Maybe it was your birthday and you were just waiting for all the ice cream to be done. And so ice cream has a really kind of deep kind of story with me. But you'd never get that story if you didn't listen carefully. If when someone starts that journey of self-disclosure, I think, I feel, I want, I like, I don't like, it's sacred ground. How often in your journey, when someone opens with a statement like, I like, do you stop? And do you say, we're on a journey here, and I'm going to encourage this, and I'm going to listen and ask good questions. I'm going to lean in, because it matters. It matters. Sometimes these conversations start rather shallow. When was the last time you gave 100% of your energy to listening to another person? Now, I know we all want to be listened to, But I try to remind often in this journey on healing conversations, it's not just about judging others and how they're doing. It's about also equipping ourselves to be 
good listeners and good participants in healing conversations. And so as we sit into that space, it becomes so important. I tell couples, when someone starts that I language, we get quiet and we listen, and we only ask clarifying questions. We don't make statements, we ask. So by that, do you mean, well, what does it feel like when you experience that? Because we're encouraging self-disclosure. We want to know more about this person. I'm a big believer in this fact. If we listen more, if in the middle of conflict we slowed down, we were willing to self-disclose, we were willing to ask good clarifying questions, that almost always we would find out that the conflict is pretty insignificant. That in fact we thought we had a big problem, but in fact we don't. We just didn't understand each other. In fact, we're told that by communication expert, if you just said, so what you mean is, if you just had a simple conversation and in the conversation you would say, oh, so what you mean is, that we're told it takes up to five seven to seven times of clarifying questions to get exactly what the other person meant. That's just in common conversation. When was the last time you gave yourself either to this process, this risky process of self-disclosure, or to the equally difficult task of giving yourself to listening well and asking clarifying questions. It's a big deal. We want to love and be loved. We want to know and be known. It comes from trust and humility, but also from a willingness to risk self-disclosure. Remember back in the conversation about trust, we talked about the fact, is this person willing to risk the same way I'm willing to risk? Part of building trust is I'm going to tell you some things about myself, and my expectation is when we're done with that, you're going to sell some things about yourself. Sometimes we give ourselves into this process, but we play one role or the other. We have, I, I know people that self-disclose constantly. That's all they do. There are no secrets in their life. And yet what I know is that there still are secrets in their life. These are just the things they're willing to talk about and do so often. But maybe the deeper stuff of why they feel what they feel or think what they think or how they got here, they don't really want to talk about that necessarily. We can hide in these pieces. We're looking for a healthy part. But here's the heart of the issue. So when we begin to talk about really what we are about, what's really deep within us, guess what? That's what connects us to other people. This facade, this, this thing about, you know, talking in dominating ways or hiding what has wounded us or hurt us or where we struggle, that, that makes us... You know, it makes it difficult to attach. But when we really start to talk about our pain, suddenly people go, oh, me too. Man, that happened to you. That's happened to me. We start to bond with people. We start to go deeper in relationship. We start to find out, hey, I'm not the only one who feels like this. I'm not the only one who thinks like this. I'm not the only one who has been through something like this. So it's not our deep knowledge it's not our expertise. It's not our opinions. It's not about the last article we read. It's not about who we're following on Twitter or what we're reading. It's about our own experiences and how they make us human and accessible and how our pain or suffering or struggle or misunderstanding creates space of vulnerability. And vulnerability is where we get to create real relationship. I, I don't really need to be friends with people who are perfect. I need to be friends with people who are imperfect like me because I'm imperfect. I'm imperfect. In 1973, an aspiring artist named Janice Ian 
saw a newspaper article that highlighted a, a young woman's journey into adulthood. It was a discussion about uh, high school popularity and politics and and how it didn't really carry over into anything meaningful in life. The article was entitled, I Learned the Truth at 18. Uh, Janicean says she was jolted by the sentence and she decided to really sit down with it and think through it. She began to write an autobiographical song around that single sentence. And when the song was completed, uh, uh, it's said that she had no intention of sharing the song, that it was far too personal and she thought too disturbing. But other people came across it and some of her writing and notes, and she had reworded it to say, I learned the truth at 17. And she began to realize that maybe her experiences were not the exception, but the rule. Most of us are familiar with the song she recorded. It's called At 17. I learned the truth at 17 that love was meant for beauty queens and high school girls with clear-skinned smiles who married young and then retired. The Valentines I never knew, the Friday night charades of youth were spent on one more beautiful. At 17, I learned the truth. And those of us with ravaged faces, lacking in the social graces, desperately remained at home, inventing lovers on the phone, who called to say, come dance with me, and murmured vague obscenities, it isn't all it seems, at 17. A brown-eyed girl in hand-me-downs whose name I never could pronounce said, pity please the ones who serve, they only get what they deserve. And the rich relation, hometown queen, marries into what she needs with a guarantee of company, and a haven for the elderly. Remember those who win the game and lose the love they sought to gain in debutures of quality and dubious integrity. To those of us who knew the pain of Valentines that never came and those whose names were never called when choosing sides for basketball, it was long ago and far away. The world was younger than today when dreams were all they gave for free to ugly duckling girls like me. We all play the game, and when we dare to cheat ourselves at solitaire, inventing lovers on the phone, repenting other lives unknown, they call to say, come dance with me, and murmur vague obscenities at ugly girls like me at 17. We're going to break that down right after this break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Healing Conversations on KABC 790. I'm Pastor Dave Roberts. I'm bringing Eric McLennan's in studio. Welcome, Eric. How are you? Hey, Dave. Good morning. Uh, so we just finished reading the lyrics to uh, Janice Ian's At 17, and uh, that song went on to be one of her most popular, and she tells us about how often uh, someone would come to her and just say, man, that just means so much to me. It's just I identify so deeply with those feelings and experiences. And it became you know, one of those songs that while she thought it was incredibly private and personal and sort of uh, talked about some of her angst and growing up. Uh, It was actually incredibly connecting and liberating. And I think so often when we risk revealing the truth about ourselves, that's what happens. Mm -hmm. It uh, it connects us to people. So self-disclosure, scary business. Yeah, we're all connected. There's only, what, seven basic Plot lines, what's the, yeah, there's a book like or that. something like that. Yeah. Do, do you find that to be true when you're doing counseling with people and you start to learn some of these self-disclosure things from people that there's a lot of the same stories floating around? Yeah. I mean, I think in, in human, you know, I, I, I probably say this uh, a lot in counseling. 
is after hearing someone really pour out their story, I very often will say, well, I think everything you told me means um, you're completely normal, mm. that this is a completely normal kind of experience and feelings because I think people feel uniquely broken. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think, you know, there is a social science because there are patterns to human behaviors. And so you do tend to see a lot of things that you go, yeah, I understand what you're going through. You know, this, and this is probably happening to you. And then you're probably seeing this and then maybe the people around you are behaving in this way. And sometimes, you know, it's completely unique, but, but yeah, I think there are definitely patterns that emerge. Yeah. It drives people into loneliness when yep. they think it's just them, I think. Yeah. And social media has made it much worse. You know, there's that old phrase about that's your insides looking at someone else's outsides. Yeah. Uh, we see people with perfect lives and happy. And and uh, I do think this, you know, um, there is something very unique about being in ministry and being a, a pastor. And that is you have a tendency to know the deeper story of a lot of people. And yet not all the people that you're sharing with in community know the deeper story. Mm-hmm. So sometimes as you watch interactions between people, you're like, I wouldn't have said that. I don't think you realize who's sitting beside you and what their experience is and what they've been through. You might not want to be quite so dogmatic about what you're saying. You might not want to even be. So sometimes we're, you know, we're, we're doing that thing where we're talking about our anger or what's wrong with the world. And we don't ever realize that the person sitting beside us has a very different experience. Right. And instead of going gently and being, you know, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, we have a tendency to run over people. Right. Uh, and so I see that happen a lot. I can watch it in real time because I, I sometimes know things that are happening under the surface and it's painful to watch. And then I think that's happening every day, even when I don't know the, the other story. It makes you want to go, I want to be careful how I speak mm-hmm. and what I say. Yeah. Don't you think, I mean, you mentioned the Matthew verse, love your neighbor as yourself. Don't you think people sometimes take that as, well, what worked for me was dogma. Right. So then I'm going to love everyone with dogma. They need to be told the truth. But right. that's not really, that can't be what it means. No. And in fact, I, I think this is really important. You know, this idea of disciplining or speaking the truth into the lives of others, um, you have to earn your way into that space. In fact, I I do this. I temper things. So I write a sermon and then I'll go back and reread it. And I find, you know, that I'm often scratching out words and softening sentences. Mm. You know, that's a that's a major piece of editing. Right. Because I'll say, well, and then this is what blah, blah, blah. And then I'll go, you know, that needs to say, I think maybe it means this. It seems sometimes people do this. Maybe I shouldn't call out Eric in this way. Yes. Maybe (laughs) maybe I should be more gentle (laughs) about that. But I, I think that reality of, you know, just slowing down, because I do think so often we're going to try to correct people. Mm hmm. I used to have a professor in seminary and he would say, you're trying to fix the wretched thing, but you don't know what the wretched thing is. And I think that a lot of people say, well, I've got to tell them the truth. Well, how will you even know what language to speak in order to tell them this truth? And there is truth. I mean, I don't think everything is relative, but how will I be able to couch it in a language that someone can understand if I don't know them? And why would they ever listen to me if I haven't earned the opportunity by being in life with them, by being on a journey, by being in relationship, by right. presenting, you know, it's it's the difference between talking at people yeah. and talking with people. Yeah, that's 
the definition of social media. Their meme didn't work on you. Your meme's not going to work on them. No, no. And I do think people are like, well, I'm going to balance the universe. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're out there. They're talking that stuff. So I'm going to talk this stuff radically because I'm going to balance the universe. No, you're not. Yeah. You, you're just going to you're going to create more animosity in the world. It's that. And it's just it's just cathartic. It's just you think that you're doing something right. It gives you a feeling that you're fighting back, but you're not. Yeah. You know what astonishes me, and uh, I, I don't understand the confidence some people seem to feel at having come to a place where they really get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I wish I felt that confidence. I mean, when you, if you ask me right now about the world and politics and things, there are things that I hate, that I don't like, that I wish were different. But yeah. if you said to me, you know, can you unequivocally say that this is the way everything should work? I'd be like, oh, boy. No, I, I, I mean, the, the amount of things I don't know. Right. Uh, yeah, I tried to just running one church, you know, how often you have to stop and go, well, I, I probably going to need some more information about that because I don't even know. I can make a snap decision right now, but until I dig into that, I'm not sure I know even how to respond. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that idea of, you know, self-disclosure is so dangerous because we do judge each other so harshly. And right. so I don't know. I mean, how do you feel about self-disclosure? I, I mean, it's a negative word, right? Right. Like right when you hear it, you go, uh, yeah, I don't like, because we don't disclose the negative. That's the last thing to sure. come out. And yeah. so the whole thing of everyone wants to be known, I'm not really sure that's fully true. You know what I mean? I I like my secrets sometimes. Sure. You know, I don't know how far and how deep I really want to be known. Yeah. But at some level, don't you, is that, do you think that's true because you are afraid you wouldn't be cared for and loved in the same way or respected in the same way that somehow it would cause shame or distance or? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So I think the idea of that I want to be known is not because I, I have a, on the surface, a desire to be known, but down deep, I wish somebody loved me like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wish somebody could hear everything there was to hear and their response would be, all right, all right, that's okay. I get yeah. it. You know, let's work on that. How can I help? How right. can I be in it with you? Uh, I think we desire that. I think we want that. Yeah. Do you, do you think that would curtail some negative things from happening? Lots of times self-disclosure comes after you know, a husband has cheated on his wife yeah. and then he tells her what's going on in his life or, you yeah. know, a, a parent beats their kid or, and then you find out what's going on underneath. Do you think if we were more open and disclosed, it would prevent things from happening? Sure. I mean, I think that's part of what happens is we, we try to keep everything moving forward and everything's okay without having to self-reveal. You know, if I can, if I can fix this without having to say, you know, to my kid, you know, I'm unhappy with this behavior and I think you need to change. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and here's what I'm struggling with. And this is my anxiety. And when you behave that way, it makes me feel disrespected and unloved. We tend to not get into, here's my feelings and vulnerability and why that behavior is bothering me. I just want you to change. Right. You know, and so then the kid is like, well, you know, instead of engaging at that level of self-disclosure, we we have a tendency to let's just stomp on it. And then the more those things get buried, I think, then the more the behaviors and the separation happens. And then we're deeper in the mess instead of, oh, I can I can hear the humanness of the struggle and the pain. Mm-hmm. And so 
I'm, I'm happy to enter into that with you. Right. Right. You brought up the, the gospel track. This was your life. Yeah. Did, was there an era where tracks worked? I don't know. They used to be very, and they're still out there. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, they're know. very apocalyptic, right? They're very. All different ones, but they're very, uh, maybe the right word is simplistic, mm. you know, very simplistic and, and uh, yeah. So, so, so do we have it now just in different forms, do you think? Oh, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think some of the stuff that gets posted are caricatures of reality and caricatures of theology. And, you know, it, it's hard to say in a paragraph that I just, I just dropped some deep theological truth on somebody that made a difference. Yeah. So I think in some ways that's the social media post, the Instagram. The 30-minute sermon clip type of thing of the most distilled version of what they said or, right. I don't know. Yeah. Some you mean the three-minute? The three-minute, because you're only allowed 30. I mean, you know, the three-minute <laughs> version of it, you know. So, but yeah, uh, how often, um, I mean, I'll hear things and go, uh, I don't know what they meant by that. I need to, yeah. I need to dig deeper, but because it's sort of appealing on the surface. Yeah. And I, and I think that's true. I suppose lot. it's no different than somebody writing a meme now or something like that. Somebody literally illustrated those tracks and put sure. them together and had them with the good intention of that. They were going to help somebody help somebody. Yeah. But did they like that? Probably. Uh, they probably did. Of yeah. course. I mean, I think that's the crazy thing is, uh, yeah. I mean, just think about fitness. Uh, you know, how many things that are just bizarre or crazy or mental health. I mean, you know, I'm going to go to stand in a cave and scream and it's going to, you know, be therapeutic. And, and for people it is. I right. mean, that, it doesn't make sense to everyone, but who who understands exactly the thing, you know, the things that different people do to be physically fit yeah. And you're like, really? That's so, okay. You know, um, they're just crazy things. I bought this machine. I saw this on TV. I can take this pill. I take this supplement, you know, and you're kind of like, oh, okay. That's yeah. true. We do trust a lot of things on the surface. Yeah. So I think it does make a difference just like in every other phase of life. It, it might not affect everybody, but it affects somebody and it makes some change along the way. So we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Healing Conversations on KABC 790. I'm Pastor Dave Roberts, and uh, Eric McLenahan is in the studio. We're talking about the risky business of self-disclosure and uh, other questions that you had along the way. Yeah, I had to ask you about this John Wesley story. Yeah, He had a midweek meeting at his church to have a time <laughs> to publicly confess sins. There's, there's zero percent chance that's true. Yeah. It can't be true. hundred percent. And here's what's crazy. Here's what's really crazy. So this is kind of a, a side note, but um, right now in modern psychology, there's such a huge, huge emphasis on practice. So if you want to change your actual mental, emotional health, practice, mm -hmm. practice things, do things differently, practice mm -hmm. gratitude, practice forgiveness, Here's some exercises you can do. Here's some ways of meditating and thinking. Now, we're talking Cal Berkeley has a big program going of how people can change, you know, their mm -hmm. practices. Well, Wesley was all about that. So long before modern psychology was moving in those directions, he his point was not so much necessarily that we're just all going to get together and confess. His point was we don't grow as human beings unless we are honest about who we are and we practice differently. We do something different. And so yeah. in in early Methodism, you didn't go join the church. You joined a class. You joined a group. 
And when you joined the group, the group met together and the whole focus of the group was practice. And part of that practice was, you know, it wasn't just about somebody standing up and saying, well, I, this is what I did. <laughs> I and this is what I said. I don't care if it's just two people. It's just weird. Man. <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, well, I lusted after Bill's wife again this week. <laughs> okay, that, how does that possibly? Uh, awkward moment. How, how does that possibly bring you together? It's just, yeah. Yeah. I can't fathom how that could possibly have worked. And maybe it didn't work and it didn't catch on. I don't know. It did. In fact, you know, George Whitfield would say, I preached to millions, but John Wesley changed the world because he he put people into classes and he changed their practices. So, I, it, Yeah, with like gratitude and the, <laughs> with the public sure. confessing of sins. I'm not sure that's well, one that we Well, and there's wisdom around. and discretion in what we <laughs> confess and when and where. And some things that are not appropriate to, you know, confess in a public forum. I mean, you know— I've been through a few of those too. You know, <laughs> yes. like, I, I wouldn't have said that. <laughs> so, uh, but I think that reality of the whole idea, you know, you're getting, you're getting way down in the micro mm-hmm. back up to the macro and go, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if I was in a group of people where I could say, Hey, I'm struggling with this. Mm-hmm. And they could say, okay, you know, I understand. I get that. I've struggled. Here's what I did. Here's how it worked for me. You know, this is what I learned. This is how I started to think differently and started to practice differently. And so I, I think that whole idea is it can be, you know, kind of construed in a way that it would be even socially, relationally destructive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that. You right. know, in fact, if you look at AA, one of the things it says, you confess and make restitution as long as the confession and restitution isn't going to create more damage than it does good. That's right. a consideration in one of the steps in, in the 12-step program. So. It is with some discretion that we think about how this stuff works. Right. Right. Um, I think what's really powerful in that is that most of us think that what is going on in our inner world, no one wants to know. Mm-hmm. We don't even want to know. Mm-hmm. We don't like it. Mm-hmm. And yet each of us has knowledge. We have knowledge of our own experience and how we've overcome and what we've learned right. that can be invaluable to someone else who is on that journey. Right. And that's the power of self-disclosure, not, you know, this I'm parading my dirty laundry before everyone. That's right. not that's not the, the nature of self-disclosure. There's although, somebody who is on the other side of that and yes. can help you get through it. Yes. Yeah. There's both someone on the other side that can help you get through it. And there's someone needing your help from what you've learned mm-hmm. because we all struggle in such similar ways. And I think this is one of the truths about life. You know, if you've been in church all your life, you still have a certain kind of struggle that's not that different from the person who's never been to church. Mm -hmm. And so how do we honestly deal with our humanity and the struggle that goes on in that? How do we become more human to each other? Because if I just stopped and, you know, maybe as we kind of in this final segment to get back into how human do you think people believe others are when it comes to politics and pandemic and vaccines, it seems to me that part of what we're doing right now is we completely dehumanize people who we don't think are like us, mm-hmm. you know, who, if they line up politically, if I'm a Democrat and they're a Republican, or I'm a Republican and they're a Democrat, or I'm a conservative and they're a liberal, or I'm a, whatever the label is, I'm a pro-vaxxer or I'm an anti-vaxxer or Whatever it is, we we have so many of this. You know, my perspective on immigration, my perspective on abortion, my perspective on whatever, you know, the legalization of marijuana. We could go on and on. Mm-hmm. And then what we do to people who are on the other side of the argument is we dehumanize them. Right. 
And I think self-disclosure is the great process by which we become human again because we're not all that different from each other. Even around the world, even people who live in a completely different culture, we're not all that different from each other mm-hmm. underneath the surface. You know? Yeah. Christianity has been guilty of that sure. for a long time. Christianity. Whether it's pagans or atheists or sure. non-believers or whatever term we've ascribed to them, yeah. it's dehumanizing. Yeah, in many ways, which is fascinating because often in the scripture when, when the writers are talking about paganism, they're not deriding individual people. They're talking about a system of religion called yeah. paganism. It's yeah. a different thing. you know. That's a belief in gods and goddesses, which was common for the Greeks and Romans. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have turned it into a derisive reference to people. Uh, and, you know, unless somebody is actually a pagan, yeah. you know, then maybe you shouldn't call them one because <laughs> it's probably not. But we do that. We, we do. And Christianity has been successful in creating what I think are— you know, unrealistic, uh, unrealistically perfect people, you know, and I, and I fight that. I fight it, you know, in the sense of we want to talk about this. You know, when somebody says to me, I'm good, everything's great, you know, God's blessing me, he's taking care of everything. And you're like, well, you know, I understand overall the belief that everything's going to be okay and God's going to get you through it. And, mm-hmm. but, but to stop and to go, well, these are the things that are going well and these are the things that aren't going well mm-hmm. because that's life. You know, there, there isn't really a life in which everything's going well. Right. And I think uh, sometimes in, in, around Christianity, it feels unreal. You know, I prayed and God gave me the miracle and it all worked out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we all know that not everybody gets a miracle. Not mm-hmm. everybody prays and everything works out. And so, so getting into that humanity of it, the realness of it, uh, the pain of it, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think that's uh, – I, I think there's immense value in faith. But it's not a magic pill that solves all the problems. Yeah, um, you know. So I think I think all of that stuff creates this unrealistic, inhuman kind of existence. I think it's part of why churches are relevant. I, I shared this quote on the radio before, but I think it's a noun quote. But he says, uh, you know, turning on the lectern and light, the preacher shares, and uh, if he cannot openly talk, or she cannot openly talk about. Uh, the visible absence of God, mm-hmm. how will they be believed when they talk about the invisible presence of God? Mm. And I think, you know, I think for people who in the church world fail to talk about, yeah, I, I can't explain the visible absence of God in this circumstance, the visible absence of God in this part of society or culture or the world or Afghanistan or the Taliban or whatever all that is then I have zero credibility to talk about the invisible presence of God because mm-hmm. I'm not in the world. I'm hiding from it. I'm not being honest about it. That self-disclosure requires me to say, yeah, I struggle too. I don't get it either. We talk about it and refer to it as the mystery. The mystery is the part of it that I just can't explain. Mm-hmm. That's the part that I don't like. You sure. started this whole thing by saying, just get to the point. <laughs> yeah. I wish that there was more of just get to the point. Yeah. Just tell me what it is. Tell me what to do. I'll do it. Heaven. Yay. You yeah. know. Right. right I wish right. it was more like that. Yeah. I mean, God, God the, you know, the biblical story, believe, if you believe it or you don't believe it, it's a covenant story. Mm-hmm. You know, here's what you need to do and here's what God's going to do. God's not going to do everything. You know, that's the Bible doesn't say that God's going to do everything. It says you'll need to participate in mm-hmm. your own life and story and journey and growth and depth and maturity and all that stuff. And I think for us, 
I, for me personally, I wish God would fix everything. I wish I didn't have to be. I'm the weakest link in that equation, you know. But the reality is I am working out all of it in real time just like everybody else. I'm just doing it with a belief in a higher power, mm-hmm. that there's a God and that the Bible is the lamp to my feet and the light to my path, and it's helping me to understand and disclose, and it's alive and well. And But I think I would just say this conversation we're having right now is probably not a conversation that most people would ever hear in church. Mm-hmm. And if they did hear it, they would probably lose, people would leave the church because the pastor's too liberal or not yeah. on top of it or not yeah, dogmatic yeah. enough or not sure enough in their faith. But I think that honesty and that authenticity, you know, to me, it doesn't matter if you're in a contemporary church or, you know, they have contemporary music or if you're in a traditional church that's liturgical, whatever. But authenticity matters. Yeah. You know, and people will feel authenticity instantly and they feel something that's inauthentic instantly. What's the what's the there's more faith in honest doubt than in all the creeds? Yeah. Lord Tennyson said there's more faith in honest doubt than in all the creeds. That's my life. That's my life motto. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I hope that's true. <laughs> and there you go. So, you know, you may question Wesley and, uh, you know, the midweek meeting and self-disclosure. But there's Lord Tennyson <laughs> Lord basically Tennyson, saying, <laughs> basically saying, listen. When somebody's honest and they self-disclose, there's way more honesty and faith in that than in all the dogma and creeds that get put together. My prayer for you today as you walk out there is that you'll be yourself. You'll listen well. If somebody says, I, you'll, you'll quiet down, ask clarifying questions. And that maybe today you'll take a risk and you'll tell somebody something about you that makes you more human and more lovable and more ready to be in healing conversations. Thanks for listening. God bless.